Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Hey, uh, excited to have you guys with us this morning. You know, if you're a regular here, you know this. We've been going through this study in the book of Esther, which is, is I've loved it. I've, it's been fascinating for me. Um, and then uh, today was, uh, we had already planned, and then next week we were supposed to start a new series. So I'm just catching you up to speed. Uh, I got the sick the one week, and so we extended Esther will be, the last week of Esther will be next week. And then we start a brand new series. This morning, you guys are in for a treat. And I think this is going to be so good for us. Uh, we have Ben Pierce with us from Steiger Ministries. And, and what's kind of interesting is, uh, especially if you're my age, 35 or older, you know this, that, that we now live in such a different world than when we were kids. We live in such a post-Christian world. This is not a Christian nation anymore. Like We just need to, we just need to come to grips with that. And uh, certainly the, the nation was founded with some Judeo-Christian principles, but we're not really a Christian nation anymore. And so we're, we're still the people who live on mission. We still have a mission. We still have a Christ to share with the world. The question becomes in a post-Christian world, like, how do we do that? How do we do that? People aren't really always open to those conversations. How do we, how do we build relationships and bring that in? And so Ben this morning is speaking on uh, Jesus in a secular world. Now, I'm just, I'm just prepping you for this so you know this. I think what's even going to be more exciting, you want to pay attention, because next Saturday, this coming Saturday, here at, on campus, from 9 to noon, Ben has an entire class, an entire program that they, that they, that they work on this with. And I, I'm saying you should be there. I'll be there. Kimmy, we should all be there, because if we're going to live on mission... How do we do that in a totally post-Christian world? How do, we, how do we talk about Jesus and not be the, the fruitcake in the room? Or how do we talk about Jesus and not just be screaming and shouting at people? I think that's important. And so he's going to talk to us about that this morning. But I want you to be prepared. Start thinking about next Saturday morning, okay? You're in for a treat. I think it's going to be such a relevant topic, such a relevant conversation. Would you please give a big Cedar Valley welcome to our guest this morning, our friend Ben Pierce. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you coming. Morning. We got any Chief fans in the house? 49. Well, obviously the boos are coming from the 49er fans. Yes. Who's ready to just not hear about Taylor Swift so much? See, we can all win this morning. Sorry if I lost some people in that section. Uh, so excited to be here. Speaking of football, before I move on, I really feel like I have to get something off my chest, uh, and I have to call Neil out just a little bit. Sorry. He doesn't know this is coming. Last week, he said he was a football fan, specifically a Vikings fan. And then he went on to describe his routine, right? He just goes about his day, just kind of, you know, get some errands done. And then he pops in at the fourth quarter. Are we buying that? <laughs> That's not a Vikings fan. We're play one, day one. We suffer together. We celebrate together. We suffer together. That's no Vikings fan. I'm sorry. Look, when I was growing up in high school, this, was, this is going to date me a little bit, but we couldn't stream the games. And so my grandparents, they would record the games on VHS tapes, and they would send them in the mail, and we'd get them eight days later. <laughs> and after, after school, my brother and I would run to the mailbox, and we'd get this brown package. It was the best. And we watched the entire 1998 Vikings season eight days behind. Now, because the internet wasn't developed, we didn't find out at all. We were like, we watched the whole thing eight days behind. In fact, I still don't know what happened. 
So if you know, don't tell me. It was a very promising season. <laughs> this is a huge privilege for me. Um, my family and I, we, we have been uh, part of this church for a while now, six, seven years. Uh, they should be on the screen. They're the much better looking blonde ones that somehow, well, you can figure out how they were produced. But anyway, <laughs> we love this church. Um, it's been a family for us. We live just down the road. Uh, we are Cedar Valley missionaries, uh, and you guys have been uh, a huge support. And even if you haven't even realized necessarily always what it is we do and how you've supported us, you've been a part of that. Uh, and as Neil said, I'm part of a missions organization called Steiger. Uh, and Steiger was started by my parents in the 80s. That's where my brother and I were born, in the heart of Amsterdam. Uh, and my parents had a burden to reach a culture that was not coming to the church looking for answers. They saw these beautiful cathedrals in their city squares, and much like today, they were dead, empty museums. And they're asking themselves, how can we reach people like this that have such a negative view of God? You can go back to that slide. And so they started a Bible study on a big red boat right there in the top right. And this became a hub for all of this, this underground culture to come to experience Jesus. My dad started a band called No Longer Music that's still going today. And the whole purpose from the beginning was how can we go to their places, their clubs, their festivals, lift up the name, name of Jesus in a relevant way. And to cut a very long story short, we now have a worldwide missions organization active in over 100 cities around the world. And the heart is the same. How can we reach people who are not coming to the church who have such a hostile, negative, or apathetic view of God? And so what we do is we mobilize followers of Jesus, all of us, to reach people who would not walk into a church. This is not going to take a few special heroes. This is going to take all of us. Every single one of us living radically for Jesus one of the ways that I'm involved, I'm involved in many ways, but one is through the band No Longer Music. It's still going today. In fact, in 2023, we performed over 30 shows, over 20,000 people came, thousands and thousands of stories in seven different countries. And as Neil said last week, you guys are a generous church, but sometimes you may be not even aware of what you are supporting. And you helped send this band that I'm a part of, No Longer Music, to all these different countries, and you're part of that fruit. You share in that, your generosity, your faith. And so I want to take a few minutes just to celebrate what God did. One of the places we toured was Argentina, and God did extraordinary things in this country that is ravaged by economic hardship and suicide and depression. God brought his hope and lives were changed. You were a part of that. So let's watch this video and let's celebrate what God can do. We were told that Argentina loves rock and roll. They have a thriving music scene, and it was the perfect place for us to tour. And so we did, and they were right. Well, we're not just a band big crowds are not enough. We want to see people encounter the love of Jesus in a way that radically changes their lives. But is Argentina open to the gospel? Well, 
tener lo mío, porque hay a veces que tengo cosas prestadas y todas esas cosas. Yo quiero tener lo mío, quiero terminar el colegio y tener mis cosas y, y esas cosas. Do you have a relationship with God? No. No creo en esas cosas porque siento que eso de, de a ver, mentir y todas esas cosas. Yo lo del espíritu, todo eso, de la religión, yo no creo. No, no soy de creer esas cosas. El nuevo presidente. Could Jesus use our show to bring hope to a people struggling with economic depression, hopelessness, and suicide? Every single person here is cutting. The pain you feel matters. The injustice matters. Because you are created by a beautiful, loving father. Not a father who abandons us, but a father who cries tears when he sees the pain and the suffering and the injustice. Who's not indifferent? the darkness that I feel. This father is so pure and I've become polluted. I'm unable to come close to him because he loved me so much. He was holding his sin, the most important thing that he had. He fed hungry people. He healed sick people. But the most important thing that he did is he took all that evil, all that evil inside of me. He took it on himself because he was sent by this good father that could not defeat him. That he back to life. And his name is Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, I can be forgiven. I can be healed with my hurt. This is good news. Somebody would like to know this good father that I'm talking about. Tonight, do you want to start a relationship with Jesus? Yeah, of course. Jesus, thank you like you love me. Forgive me for the bad stuff that I did. I want to know who you are. I ask you to come into my flag. Amen. I, I came here to see a Babang show, and this was overwhelming, really. Before the show, were you close to Jesus or not? I don't have a religion because my, my parents uh, say to me that choose your religion, be what you want to be, and feel free to, to do what you want. And what changed inside of you after tonight? I'm gonna start taking this opportunity to start thinking about Jesus every night, every day, and know that this is something important in life. ¿Te gustaría recibir ese ese regalo? Sí. Jesús. Jesús. Hoy te pido. Hoy te pido. Que vengas a mi corazón. Que vengas a mi corazón. Que lo limpies. De todas las cosas malas. De todas las cosas malas. Que yo hice. Que yo hice. Y que me hicieron. Ay, me Sí, tranquila. Que me hicieron. Hoy te pido. Hoy te pido. Que me salves. Que me salves. Que me ayudes. Que me ayudes. Y yo te reconozco. Yo te reconozco. Como el Señor. Como el Señor. De mi corazón. De mi corazón. Gracias, Jesús. Gracias, Jesús. Porque vos me amás. Porque vos me amás. En el nombre de Jesús. En el nombre de Jesús. Amén. 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 God moved on this tour in a big way. Over 7,000 people heard the gospel, and over 500 prayed to receive Jesus. But it was the individual stories of life transformation that will stay with us forever. Heron, who came to faith at our first show, caught a ride back with us. And on the way home, he started asking about baptism. And he was talking to Michael, and, and Michael called me over. And I explained baptism to him, and Heron asked if he could be baptized last night. Heron, 
Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? I do. baptisms to radical revelations of God's love. Our time in Argentina was overwhelming. We are so grateful for all that happened, but the work is far from finished. We are eager to do it again, because from what we've seen, if we will go and we will tell people the truth, they will respond. watch <clears throat> we need to keep going I watch something like that and I just feel this I feel this joy like you do but I feel this urgency we have churches here on every corner and every street and the culture is going in the opposite direction and people are open don't believe the lie that they don't want to hear they want to hear they're desperate for the truth and you guys have been part of that. We would not have been there without your generosity and without your prayers. So when they come up here and they tell you, keep being generous, is that better than a house or a boat? Don't waste your life. Depreciating assets that you'll pass on to kids that probably won't even be grateful for. Make a difference. You can see this show. We're going to be performing it here on Saturday, April 27th. It's free. We're going to be preaching the gospel. So not, so not only will you be rocked by this, but those you bring who don't know Jesus will be as well. It's free. Just come Saturday, April 27th, 630. There's more information. We have a booth out there. Two of our awesome people. My wife will be there too. Please talk to us. As was mentioned, Jesus in the Secular World class, hopefully it can be more interactive, more questions a time for us to wrestle with this subject together, 9 to noon on Saturday. And if you can't make it, there's some resources you can grab right away. Uh, I wrote a book on this subject called Jesus in the Secular World. You can grab one. We asked for a $10 donation, but if that's a barrier, please just take it. Um, and finally, you have a podcast called Provoke and Inspire, which is a way to stay connected with our voice every week asking the question, how can we be faithful for Jesus in a post-Christian world? We've been blessed to have some of the greatest guests uh, from throughout the Christian world, the late Tim Keller before he passed away, Dallas Jenkins from The Chosen, Matt Chandler, Max Lucado, Philip Yancey, Neil was on the podcast. So check that out. And lastly, I, there's a lot of content here, and so if you want my notes, please come out there, sign up for our newsletter, and we'll send those to you. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you use ordinary people like us to reach a world that might seem beyond hope and yet is the opposite. Lord, you are at work. I've seen it. And so, Lord, anything that is of me, anything that is not of you, let it fade away. And I pray that only what you want to say would come through today. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And without you, my words mean nothing. So, Lord, speak through them this morning. Amen. We live in challenging times. And despite the, the hope of the gospel, we do. I don't think I have to tell you that our world is falling apart. Right? Suicide and anxiety and depression and hopelessness. According to studies, 
Gen Z, they're the first generation where over 50% describe themselves as religiously unaffiliated. This is the first time in U.S. history where a majority of a generation thinks about God and says, eh, I'm not interested. We live in desperate times, and I know for, I would say, virtually all of you, this is not an academic subject. This hits home. When I'm talking about that, or when you're watching this video, you're, think, you're thinking about your own sons and daughters, your grandkids, people in your life that you love very much who have walked away from God. And like Neil said, the question is, how do we reach them? Because we've had the conversations and we've invited them to the events and we've shared the articles with them and it doesn't seem to work. What do I do? This morning, I want to share some practical steps that we can all grab onto that we can use in our own lives. But before I do that, we have to get the foundation right. It's funny, no matter how many talks I write, I always come back to these few basic points. They're inescapable for me. So the question is, we are living in a crisis, and what do we do about it? What is the proper foundation for confronting a crisis? And for that, I want to look to Nehemiah just very briefly. Nehemiah, you were, in some ways, like Esther, was in a very unusual situation. Right? The people, the Jews, they're not in a good place. Jerusalem is in ruins. But he finds himself in a pretty good position. Right? He's the cupbearer to the king. So like Esther, he's actually doing all right. He's got power. He's got prestige. He's a, he's a trusted official. And he could have just gone about his days making a, you know, a difference there, having a good influence at work. But he has some relatives come, and what they share with him, it ruins him for the ordinary trajectory that he was on. They come to him and they say, Nehemiah, Jerusalem is in ruins. The city walls have been burned down. The gates are on fire. And when Nehemiah heard this, what did he do? Well, he, he opened up a spreadsheet and he did a cost-benefit analysis and came up with some objectives and analyzed the ROI and he circled back on Monday, right? When Nehemiah heard of this, it says in Nehemiah 1.4, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is demonstrating something critical for us. Two things. If we're going to meet the needs of the world, it has to start with a broken heart. This can't be some academic thing, some rational thing, or even some religious duty or obligation. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I gotta, I gotta tell my neighbors about Jesus. All right. If we're gonna make a difference, God has to break our hearts. It says Nehemiah wept. When is the last time you wept? When is the last time I wept? And not because of some personal tragedy, but because of the state of the world around us. Now I know most of you are right here because as I said, these are your sons and daughters. These are your close friends or relatives. These are your grandkids. You have wept. You have prayed. You have cried out to God. It's the only proper foundation. And then it says, Nehemiah prayed. Now, this wasn't some little ritualistic prayer, some little quick prayer that he had to get out of the way. 
Historians estimate that he spent several months fasting and praying. Why? I think Nehemiah looked at the situation. He looked at himself, and he did the math, and he said, I don't have what it takes. Like, there's no way. What am I supposed to do? Really? I'm just one guy. I'm so limited. What can I do, God? He prayed because he recognized that if God didn't do it, nothing would happen. He demonstrated a dependence on God. Look, we don't have what it takes. We could combine the resources and the gifts of this church, and it would still just be five loaves and two fish. And yet sometimes I feel like we internalize that story like this. How can we best maximize and steward the five loaves and two fish? You know, divide it well. Maybe we can rip it into really small pieces. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that what you and I have to offer Jesus is not enough. In fact, it's not even close to enough. We are woefully inadequate to meet the needs of the world. So what do we do? We offer what we have to Jesus and he multiplies it. And that's how we feed the masses, despite our inadequacy. But desperate prayer is the outward recognition of our inadequacy to meet the needs apart from God. And so the proper foundation to meeting the needs in your family, a broken heart, and a radical commitment to prayer. Honestly, if that is not understood, if we do not internalize that, then everything else I say this morning, it doesn't matter. It will always start there. But after that, we do need a plan. Nehemiah had a plan, right? And if you read on, it's an audacious, crazy plan. And he changes history. And so we need a plan. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Three steps here. Three ideas that you can take and hopefully immediately incorporate into your world, into your sphere of influence. The first step is we need to develop a missionary mindset. We need to develop a missionary mindset. If I came to you and I said, in one year, you're going to China as a full-time missionary, I think you would intuitively realize, I better prepare, right? I don't think you'd just pick up your phone and be like, hey, Siri, set a reminder, in one year, I'm going to China. <laughs> you know, you'd probably want to get ready. You would want to study the language. You'd want to study the culture and the history. You'd want to do everything and anything you could do to prepare to reach those people. We are foreigners in our own cities. We may live here, but we don't speak the language anymore. We have become isolated, and they don't understand us. And if we're going to reach people, we have to adopt that same mindset as the person going to China. So what does that mean? It means committing ourselves to learning and understanding the context and culture around us in order to communicate the gospel effectively. A major part of the reason we fail to connect is that we just don't know people. And so we're answering questions people aren't even asking. Or we're speaking in a language that just, whew, people don't understand. And that's what happens. That's literally how languages form. You isolate a group of people for long enough, eventually they don't speak the same language anymore. 
There's maybe just enough commonality to be convinced that we do, but we don't. Jesus was a brilliant communicator because he knew people, right? So when Jesus spoke of fishing and farming, sowing in seeds, these were not abstract agrarian terms he just decided to use. This was daily life, right? So if he's speaking to an audience, they'd be like, yeah, I understand. I just came from that. I have sheep. That makes sense to me. But if I go into Minneapolis or London or Sao Paulo and I say, Jesus is the good shepherd, right? I mean, they get it literally, but is that a powerful symbol for a 21st century urban context? The Bible is as powerful as a two-edged sword. There's not a lot of dudes walking around with swords today. That doesn't connect. It doesn't resonate. And I know that sounds funny, but often we can be guilty of this kind of thing. Isolation is our enemy. And I think we can recognize that it's not just about proximity. Right? We can be near people for years and not know them. Right? We have this weird modern phenomenon where you can be near people, surrounded by people, and yet utterly alone. How is that? Having a missionary mindset means committing to getting to know the people God has called you to reach. And who better to turn for an example of this than the Apostle Paul? Look at Acts 17, 17. He went to the synagogue to, the, to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public squares to all who happened to be there. All right, so when did Paul go? Daily. Right? We have turned missions into a seasonal, occasional, one-off thing. Right? We go off to do missions, and then we come back. Even all of our missional language is like a military base. We have missions bases, and we do outreach. It's, all of it implies that we don't live it. We do it occasionally. That wasn't Paul. He said he daily went out. Where did he go? Synagogue and public square, right? Synagogue because he had a heart for the Jews, but he just went to everyday, normal places. And who did he speak to? All who happened to be there. It sounds so simple, but that's what it means to have a missionary mindset. Daily showing up in ordinary places, speaking to all who happened to be there. That's what it looks like. In Steiger, we call that being a part of the scene. Now, a scene often gets associated with music, right? A music scene. But really, a scene is just a group of people gathering around a particular interest, right? So watching football can be a scene, or pickleball can be a scene, right? A hobby, a cause. There's all sorts of scenes. Group fitness is a scene, right? When I'm on the road, I'm part of an art and music scene, and I love it. I love connecting with bands and artists and people that come in the crowds and all the conversations I get to have all over the world. That's a big scene. But I'm not on the road that often, and when I'm home, I'm just a normal dude. And my son plays hockey. Who knows that that's a scene? It's a scene. I got to be there. I got to develop relationships there. I got to be intentional there. The question this morning is, what is your scene? Where has God given you influence? Where has God given you the ability to create authentic relationships? Because here's the thing. When you begin to really know people, communicating relevantly becomes easy. 
Because then you're no longer huddled together in the church trying to figure out what the people out there think. You know what they think because you have authentic relationships with them. Going back to Paul in Acts 17, 23, he demonstrates what this looks like. It's like 17, 17 is the blueprint and then 17, 23 is it put into practice. It says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you perfectly captures what it looks like, right? Shows up in Athens, he's walking around, looking carefully, observant, probably talking to some people, getting the lay of the land, recognizes like, oh, these dudes are into philosophy and religion and debate. I can use that. In fact, they got this altar to the unknown God. And so he shows up, quoting their philosophers, their artists, he presents the gospel perfect example of what it looks like to have a missionary mindset. Number two, have spiritual conversations. We need a missionary mindset, and then we need to have spiritual conversations. Today, people are very skeptical of religion, religion, religiosity, but very open spiritually. Have you noticed that? People are into talking about spiritual things, in fact, I don't think there's ever been a time where it's more intense than now. But it's been this way for a while also. One of the things that we do here locally is we go onto the streets with cameras and we do street interviews. And part of that is just to gauge how culture is, what people are thinking. But part of it is it's a great way to have spiritual conversations. And many years ago, the genesis of this, it was around Halloween. And I thought, we got to do something. So... There's a guy in the No Longer Music show who dresses up like an angel, and so he's on these big stilts, and he wears this dramatic robe and has this LED mask. And I thought, what if we dressed a guy up like that, hung a sign around his neck that said, do you believe in ghosts? And then we'll just walk around the U of M campus and ask questions, have conversations. <laughs> now, as soon as everyone left the room, and everyone was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then everyone left the room, and I was like, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> this is going to be terrible. You know, it's, no one's going to want to talk. It's going to be awkward. People are going to laugh at us. And I remember the day came and I called my buddy Steve. The, the weather wasn't good. And I was like, yes. It's like, Steve, dude, weather's pretty bad, man. He's like, yeah, you're right. It's like, we probably have to cancel. He's like, yep, no choice. I hung up that phone and I've never felt a stronger sense of pick that phone up and tell him we're doing it. It's like, ah, so I call up Steve. I'm like, man, we got to go. And he's like, I know, we got to go. So, <laughs> so we show up and we're still tentative and nervous. Like, is it going to work? For over two hours in 20 degree weather, people lined up to talk to us. So interested in deep conversations. So sick of the superficial conversations they have all day long. Ghosts and demons and witches and what happens next perfect opportunity to talk about Jesus. Now, you could think, wow, that's, you know, that's interesting, unique situation, unique time of year. I don't think so. I believe that every person that you encounter, every person in this room, every person in your life was created by God with a desire to connect with the supernatural, with a desire to connect with the transcendent. Every person 
I mean, consider Romans 1.20, Paul's words here. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. This should give us so much confidence. Every person, that son of yours that seems to have no interest in God, that neighbor who seems the farthest thing from a churchgoer you can imagine, I promise you, in there, there is this desire to know more. There is this hunger for spiritual things and a desire to connect with it. We can have that confidence. And I think pointing to this is powerful. St. Augustine, the famous saint, in his journey when he was coming to Christ, he had this quote that I've always loved, and it says this, I couldn't look at the sun directly, but I could look at where the light fell. Now, what he meant by that was that as he was giving, coming to Jesus, his pride or stubbornness or whatever it was made him unwilling to look at God. But he was almost haunted by this sense of everything that God lit up like he just could see God everywhere. And as he traced the source of that light back to its origin, he discovered God. And I believe an effective strategy today is pointing to this light in order to point people to God. We need to point to this light to point people to God. And if by contrast, I go onto the streets today or with my friends and I have my little gospel tract or the four spiritual laws, or if I grab someone and I say, hey, if you were to stand before the God of heaven and if he was to judge you, where would you, how would you stand? Is this effective? For a culture that is skeptical of religion and religious words but open spiritually? Look, I'm not saying that those things aren't true, that there is not biblical truth in those tools and tactics, but I think we need a different approach. I think we need to have spiritual conversations that lead to the gospel. And there are so many opportunities for spiritual conversations. It's crazy. The one that's been in my mind lately is food. If you th think about how cool food is, like food is amazing, right? How just the diversity of it and how rich it is and the textures and flavors and then God gives these people this ability to like do this sorcery and make it even more amazing. <laughs> food is amazing. It's not utilitarian. It's not survivalistic. It makes no sense. Animals just like... Gazelle, every day, gazelle, every day. They don't care about food. They're not like putting it all together. They're not like spicing it up. The food that we experience is evidence of a master chef and an amazing artist. I mean, think about it. If you showed up to a Super Bowl party today and there was no food, how long would you stay there? Food is rich. It's part of how we experience joy and community. It's evidence for God. I can get from food to Jesus in 90 seconds with anyone on the streets. <laughs> food is light falling in the, in the lives of people around you. Beauty. Why do we care about beauty? Why do we make things aesthetically pleasing? Animals don't decorate. They don't care. We do. It's not for survival. It's because God made us that way. Nature, of course. I mean, come on. Really? Just a, a, a happy accident? <laughs> Roll of the dice? No. The world we live in points to an incredible engineer, an extraordinary artist. 
There are so many places where the light is falling. Art. Art? Why? Why do we drum? Why do we dance? Why do we paint? This is not utilitarian. This is not survivalistic. This has no evolutionary explanation. This is evidence for God. Music, relationships, justice, sacrifice. I'm telling you, once you start opening your eyes to the way God is revealing himself, his invisible qualities, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Now, for many of you, you might feel intimidated. What do I what do? I do? That, that sounds cool, but how do I begin this process? Let me simplify things by redefining success like this. Ask great questions and really listen. I, I firmly believe that if we would have a broken heart for the lost, a desperate commitment to, to prayer, if we'd ask great questions and really listen, we'd be extraordinary evangelists today. Just on those principles alone. Questions you could ask are, what are you passionate about? What keeps you up at night? If you could change anything about the world, what would it be? What makes you angry? What is your biggest dream? What are your greatest fears? These kinds of questions will unlock spiritual conversations that will give you opportunities to talk about Jesus. And don't believe the lie that people just want to talk about sports and weather. They're so sick of that. Truly. People are just, they're, they're just ready. They're ready. They want to talk about deep things. Remember, God's invisible qualities are visible to all people, even if they don't acknowledge the source. But guys, we need to really listen. I've really been on a journey lately realizing how bad I probably am at listening. <laughs> Better late than never, I guess. Do we really listen or are we just waiting to talk? Do we just come ready with our, our scripts, our answers? Good questions will reveal opportunities for spiritual conversations. And I'm telling you, if you get good at this, you'll be talking about Jesus all the time. Lastly, share your story to talk about the cross. Look, in the end of the day, for all of our strategies and our approaches and our tactics, you know what changes people? God's power. God's power. He's the one who changes people. He's the one who grabs their hearts. And you know when God's power is unleashed? When we preach the cross. When we preach the cross. It's dynamite. I have seen it again and again. My dad, who's been faithfully preaching the gospel for 40 years, says where there is no cross, there is no power. I've seen so much evidence of this. I was on tour in Croatia one time with the band No Longer Music, and the stage that they gave us to perform on didn't have a roof over it. And so all day, the, the weather threatened. It looked like it was going to rain at any minute, and so we were stressing, right? So we set up all of our gear, you know, it's a big technical thing, and we're performing, and again, any second, it looks like it's going to rain, going to rain, going to rain. Now, in our show, we depict the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and we're at the point of the show where we're in the middle of depicting the crucifixion. And it's dramatic, right? Obviously, already. But right at this penultimate moment, rain strikes. Just boom. I mean, not just a little nice drizzle. We're talking intense, crazy rain. Wind blowing, lightning striking. I mean, secretly, I was like, pretty, pretty nice free special effects. I mean, it was a pretty cool atmosphere. But then, of course, the other part of me is freaking out. 
I'm looking over at Steve, the other guitarist in the band, and we're looking at our pedals and our stuff, and we're like, what do we, what do, we do? You know, and our drummer, he's drumming, and he doesn't know what to do. But then we look over at our Australian bass player, and he's just oblivious. I mean, he's just like, he's just like, yeah, embrace it, want more of it. He just, he just loves it, but Australians are weird. We all know that. And we're going, we're, we're playing on, and then all of a sudden, power cuts. Now, traditionally, when you're telling the gospel, you don't want to end at the crucifixion. It's not the most uplifting story. Um, but my dad is courageous, different, undeterred, jumps off the stage, rain pouring, just starts to shout out the gospel. And he says, if you want to know this, Jesus, you kneel with me in the mud. All these people start to kneel, pray out loud to receive Jesus. And the next day I'm drying off my pedals and I'm like, God, I thought this was about me. I thought it was about how cool our show was. <laughs> I remember just thinking, God, thank you for letting me tag along. Thank you that you use me when it seems like you don't really need me. God is so powerful. And when we lift up his cross, power falls. Now I know what you're thinking. I'm gonna have to start a rock band. And uh, in Neil's case, that's true. But for the rest of you, eh. um, you don't need a rock band. You don't need really anything. What you need is your story. I think your story is one of the most underutilized, underestimated power tools that we have. I've had so many great conversations where I'm getting in all the nuances of apologetics and all my best arguments. Doesn't go anywhere. But the times when I've been able to look someone in the eye and say, when I met Jesus, what was dead came alive. What was broken was healed. What was dirty was made clean. It's hard to argue with that. It's hard to argue with a life changed. That's why Revelation 12, 11 says, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so as to shy away from death. Your story is powerful. Share your story to talk about the cross. God will use it in extraordinary ways. Let me just close with this one story. We're here locally on an outreach at one of the lakes here in Minneapolis. And I'm an introvert by nature, and, and so these kinds of situations are difficult for me, but I always tell myself, Jesus, give me one good conversation. Just give me one good conversation. You know, we made this atmosphere and had music and a barbecue and lawn games, anything to attract people just to hang out. And this couple comes and the guy starts talking to someone in our team. And so I talk, I approach the girl and I say, hey, you know, what's your name? What do you do? And it turns out she was an art student. I said, you know, that's really interesting. You know, I'm an artist too. And let me ask you a question. When you make art, when you, when you do art, yeah, we could reduce it to its most basic properties, right? Molecules or sound waves or whatever. But when you make art, don't you feel like you're tapping into something deeper? Maybe even something mysterious? 
something transcendent? She looked at me and said, yeah, I, I do feel that. And I said, I do too. I think this is because the greatest artist of all time made you and I. And he put this desire inside of us to create like him. Now she could sense I was talking about God and so she said, how did you come to believe that? And I said, look, I, I could give you great arguments, try to convince you, but what changed my life is when I experienced the power of God, when I felt his presence, when he came into my life. And she looked at me and she said, I would love to experience that. So we prayed together that she would encounter Jesus the way I had. God is at work in this world. And I know you have sons and daughters and grandkids, people you love who have walked away from God and you have cried and you have prayed and you have tried and maybe you're tempted to give up hope. Don't give up. Be like the widow before the unjust judge. Give me justice. Continue to cry out. Ask him to break your heart. Commit yourself to radical prayer. Become genuinely curious about the people around you. Point to the light and share your story to talk about the cross. It's not a formula or some sort of magic bullet, but I have seen that if we will commit to that, God will use it and lives will change.